What is going on, ladies and gentlemen? Welcome back to another edition of the Jays for Days podcast. I'm Josh. He's Josh. We got Jays Jumpers, Jaron Jackson Jr.'s, John Morant's, Joe Johnson's, Jaw Raffs, of course. We've got Jays. We got him for days. Josh, how you doing? So apparently, Patrick Mahomes has a kryptonite. And who would have thought it would have been Jared Goff? Um... I'm going to stop you right there. What we learned last night is how bad the Chiefs receiving room is. We didn't learn. Well, I mean, I, I you're, you're, great. You scored correct. 21 points against the Chiefs defense that didn't have Chris Jones. Great. Congratulations. I, I, all I'm saying is I believe that Jared Goff is now 2-0 in his career against Mahomes. Okay. I'm super happy for Jared Goff. <laughs> super happy for him. This was This was going to be an overreaction game. Either way, yes, I think now the the fact that the Chiefs' receiving room is like truly horrible is probably not an overreaction. But the idea that the Chiefs are going to suck as a result of this game, like as long as Travis Kelsey doesn't like compound his hyperextension into a more serious knee injury, then like they're going to be a top five offense again because he and Patrick Mahomes are actually unstoppable. So I. Yeah, I, I, I'm, I, I, I've already hit my limit. You're, you're unfortunately getting the brunt of this, uh, of this, um, the exhaustion of the overreaction from oh, yeah. the general public after one NFL game last yeah. night. But it was, um, it was still, still a fun game to watch. Good for the Lions. I, and and also the the the, the high powered Lions offense scored 14 points last night. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Was it, what? Yeah. There are a lot of things to to dissect about the. I just his name starts with a J, and apparently Patrick Holmes just can't beat him. Whether that's because of Jared Goff or not is a different conversation. But also he's true. got his number. There you go. Good for Jared Goff. I'm I'm so I'm 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 very happy for I'm very happy for Jared Goff. Um, so I suppose we can have Jared Goff today. There yeah. you go. That's Brian Branch. The guy who picked it, who, who <laughs> the, the pick six is Brian Branch. I don't think there's a, unless there's a J in the middle name there, but I, I, I don't care enough to go middle name searching. Nope. Sometimes I, sometimes I want to go middle name searching and, um, but, but not this time. Anywho, anywho, college basketball podcast dominated by other, other sports for the first three to four minutes on a regular basis. Um, today, no difference, but, uh, it's pack 12 preview day if you are new welcome uh if you are new you've also missed what are we is this this is five right Mm -hmm. this is preview five of six uh we have done in alphabetical order the acc the big east the big 10 the big 12 and here we are uh for perhaps the last time previewing the pac-12 at least this Pac-12 that has any teams in it that you recognize as a traditional Pac-12 team. We'll have to have a conversation about whether the Pac-12, if it continues, constitutes a high major conference after That's this. Absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. Because, right, it's a, it might be the epitome of, now that's probably not fair, but, you know, it's not like... I don't know. I think we've we've had this kind of feeling about the Pac-12 in its current form about, you know, it's not it's not that often where you have like there's a serious conversation that there's only three good teams in a Power 5 conference. And not not great teams, just just good solid 
college basketball teams. That's a little different this year, and we'll we'll certainly get into that. But um, but yeah, perhaps the as we know it, uh, or or even uh, the last high major preview for the Pac-12, if there's some sort of uh, rebranding of a of a conference like the Mountain West or whatever we whatever uh, solution we we end up with in in about a year. If you are new, we do this in five categories. We try to uh, hit on as much of the conference as possible while being as efficient as possible, and we do that as follows. Uh, A category one, the team you are most excited by. We follow that up with the team you are most intrigued by. Then we hit storylines and bounce around the conference as a whole and maybe sprinkle some teams individually into that storylines category. Then we go teams that could make the NCAA tournament and a winner because it would not be a conference preview without a prediction of the winner of the regular season, because we do not recognize the conference tournament champion as the champion of conference. That's that is gospel here on the Jays for days podcast without further or do further ado or do I do. Without further ado, I thought you were trying to make some funny pun or something. No, without further ado, (laughs) swing and a miss there. Uh, Josh, which team are you most excited for? USC. Jer. The talent is, to put it mildly, impressive. Mm -hmm. It's striking. Yeah. You've got an elite backcourt with Isaiah Cotler and Boogie Ellis. You've got some pieces coming back. Not necessarily, outside of Boogie Ellis, not necessarily your offensive anchors from last season, but a lot of your role players, by and large, your interiors back. Vince Uchukwu is there. See exactly what it looks like year two for him. Obviously, he had all kinds of things going on last season. You bring in DJ Rodman. Kobe Johnson was a nine-five, two and a half guy. And then, of course, you've got this recruiting class. What does Bronny James give you if he's able to play? There are certainly question marks here. But I am fascinated to see what this team actually produces on the floor. Because to me, their ceiling is exceptionally high. At the same time, I'm not convinced they're going to come close to reaching it. But that's what the excitement is, is I want to see what this looks like on the floor. I want to see just how good these guys can be. And they were 49th in both offensive and defensive efficiency last season. They're going to be really good defensively guarding the interior, just like they were last season. But they just weren't great at anything. They were just a very good team that didn't really scare you. They have the talent to scare teams this season. Got to see if they actually live up to that. I think they're going to be excellent. I think they're going to be really excellent, actually. Um, which is a dangerous game to play with USC. I will, yep. I will, uh, I will concede off the the top here that it's not, it's not a foregone conclusion that really high level USC teams on paper translate to really high USC teams on on the basketball court. Right. We've seen this before. Absolutely. Absolutely. Maybe not I, this 
maybe not quite to this level, but the general story, we've absolutely seen this before and it hasn't ended particularly well. Yeah. Um, I love guards and this guards, <laughs> this, this back courtroom is, uh, is, is impressive even without, even without Bronny James, who is, you know, Bronny James and DJ Rodman are the names that are the sexy headlines and they're, you know, DJ Rodman, not really a, a guard, but there are two guards on this team that for my money are better than those guys. And for oh, people for sure. who are seriously talking about this team, uh, their money as well in, in Boogie Ellis and Isaiah Collier, Isaiah Collier, um, it, the number one player in uh, 247's composite rankings and truly a fascinating prospect for me because, and we talked about this with, um, who do we talk about this? Hmm. What, what past first guard were we talking about? Elliot Cadeau? Yeah, maybe it was Cadeau. I think, it, I think it might've been Cadeau. Um, I it just, it, when was the last time the number one player in the class, the first thing you said about him was his passing ability? Ever? The name that comes to mind maybe is Cade Cunningham, although I wouldn't necessarily say you talk about his passing first, but his overall playmaking? Sure. Ben, ben Simmons? Ben Simmons, maybe. That was the other name that came to mind. But he is, he's so fun to watch. And the the way that he... You know, you know what's also really difficult to find is a highlight package of a prospect that has a bunch of passes in it. That's that's difficult to find because mm-hmm. you would think that Isaiah Collier was just the the best scorer since sliced bread if you watched his you know slam highlights and what he's going to do. And and part of why I'm so excited is one, I think it was an important to to replace some of the the playmaking, the assists and the passing of Drew Peterson, who's mm-hmm. not there this year. Um, I would love for Boogie Ellis to never have to pass basketball, to have yeah. no responsibility of that whatsoever. And and Boogie had a had an excellent year last year. It was career highs and pretty much everything. I think it was the same three-point field goal percentage, but it was two more attempts per game than it was the, the last time he, I think it was like 38.6% from the three-point line. Um, his assist numbers have gone up every year he's been in college and he averaged just over three last year. I would love for Boogie to never have to worry about passing the basketball. And if there's somebody who's going to help him achieve that, it's, it's probably Collier. Um, that's giving Boogie the freedom to do nothing, but think about scoring and putting him in positions to score is, is the thing that I think more than maybe anything else can help elevate USC. Um, I he could he averaged seventeen point seven last year. I he could average more than twenty this year if he doesn't. If he can just worry about scoring the basketball and um, I don't know. I think that the, the other part of this is I think all of those guards complement each other well, right? Whether it's you know Collier, of course, um, Collier and, and Ellis and Boogie, of course. I think Kobe Johnson might take the the biggest step from a production standpoint after watching some of what he's done in the in, in their summer tour and some of the games they've played this summer that with more shots that he's got he's got the offensive abilities and the size to to get a lot of a lot of good shots especially in the mid-range um 
but I think they worked. I think it's going to work nicely, um, and especially if Collier comes and has a consistent three point jump shot, or just any sort of perimeter, um, whether I mean mid range, long to three, just something to to keep defenses honest and kind of unlock that that passing ability completely. Um, it starts there, but I think they're going to be. I think they're going to be really really fun. I am leaning toward the I'm buying this and feel like they are getting slept on belief as well. There, There is part of me that just won't believe it entirely until I actually see this turn into a top 10 team. Sure. But I would not be surprised at all if we get there. And we're talking about them as a legit Final Four contender. Because, like you said, they are, especially at that point when you get Collier a full season of experience, they are built to win with guards. And you and I both believe that's that is the easiest way to have success in March and April. The other thing I want to just mention, right? I mean, Uchuku is back for hopefully a full season. I don't think mm-hmm. that's that's an unimportant uh, part of this. Um, Aronson Page also comes from Wheeler, which is where which is where Isaiah Collier went to high school. The two of them played high school basketball together. Which, when you have a guy. Page has is a high level recruit with talent in his own right. I do think that having a guy there who has has chemistry that goes beyond you know just the summer uh, with a guy like Collier, I think that can elevate both Collier and turn Page into a more productive player than he might have been otherwise. Um, Joshua Morgan is back as part of that as part of the front court as well. They are, there's just, they're, this is the first time in a while for me that the talent, the talent at USC is usually, is usually impressive or at least close to impressive. This is the first time in a while for me that there's more places to look than just one guy as to why I should be impressed. You know, it's, you know, I Evan Mobley, of course, was going to be awesome, but I wasn't super blown away by anybody else there. I feel like there's a world in which we are we are really impressed by multiple parts of this roster, and I think that's what makes it a little different. Are they your most exciting team as well? That's correct. That's okay. correct. Anything else on the Trojans here? It is kind of funny how it's possible for somebody as highly touted as Collier to just fly under the radar this way because of the other play, the names coming in with him. This is a really good recruiting class overall, and it's not because of Bronny James, you know, and the fact that you have a Rodman also coming in. Mm -hmm. It's just funny to me that, oh, by the way, they have this guy who might be the best high school player in the country coming too. Yeah. It's absolutely, it is, it is very, it's, it's almost, it it almost factors into why I think they might be Mm -hmm. even better than, than maybe people are giving them credit for preseason. And if Bronny comes back, it makes things even more intriguing because I'm, Mm -hmm. I'm, and I said this when Bronny, uh, when Bronny committed to USC way back in Whenever that was, how long ago was that? Now, I guess back in early this year. Is that, is that when it would yeah. have been? Yeah, I think so. 
but been that long. But this idea of Bronny being the type of guy that elevates a good team rather than completely changing a not so good one mm-hmm. with the way with his defensive versatility, with his passing, with his shooting, with his basketball IQ, all those things that and and I hope that he that he plays this year not just because, you know, because that would that would really that wouldn't be fun if if he didn't get to didn't get to play this season. Um and of course him being healthy and being very very sensitive with that with that return is of course the most important thing when it comes to Bronny, but I also think that he that there are some places that maybe there are a couple holes that he would be able to help fill. And he would bring some size to that backcourt because that's the that's the other thing. I don't really know how tall Isaiah Collier is. His two four seven sports uh profile says six three one ninety. His um his USC basketball roster page says six five two ten. And I heard the guy on US like doing play by play for USC's summer games call him six four. So I have no idea how, how tall he is. If he is six five, then then we don't have any issues. If he's still six three and Boogie's not that tall either, then maybe there's a little bit of but like Bronny, you know, six four, six five, he could bring some size there as well. And just bring some of those glue things if he does get to play this season. But I think uh I think they're gonna be excellent. I really do. I'm with you. Who are you intrigued by? Well, I will say that USC is the runner-up for my most interesting team in college basketball. Behind because, this team? Yes. Would you like to take a guess? I mean, for my money, the only correct answer is UCLA. Oh. For my money. Another good choice. That's not who I have, though. Seems like you went deep for this one, though, so, so hit me. Uh, it's Arizona. Okay, see, I'm out on Caleb Love, so well, I don't. I, I I've got no intrigue there. I'm out on Caleb Love. Interesting doesn't doesn't mean good or bad. It means interesting. And if Caleb see, Love is it, anything, he's interesting. I, I guess. Yeah, I feel like I know exactly who Caleb Love is. I would agree with that too. This is just a very eclectic collection of players for me. And it's also part of what Tommy Lloyd has done, where this Arizona program is. So you got Umar Balo, Pella Larson back. It's your second, third leading scorers. Basically, everybody else is gone. So you replace them with Jaden Bradley, Keyshaw Johnson, and Caleb Love. Mm-hmm. Then you also have this good recruiting class from last season that nobody talked about because none of them got to play. Mm-hmm. Now, Kylan Boswell is, he was the crown jewel of that recruiting class. He is the guy that's going to step into a much bigger role this season. At least if things go well, that is what should happen. But there are other guys around him too that just didn't see the floor last year. So you could potentially have two or three of these now sophomores take massive jumps. And then there's just this idea of, okay, 
They're winning a bunch of basketball games. Mm-hmm. One, can Tommy Lloyd do it with a different collection of players? Mm-hmm. Guys who played at other schools, guys named Caleb Love that come with the good and the bad of Caleb Love. Can Caleb Love change the way people feel about him by helping this team win basketball games? Can Tommy Lloyd change the way... I don't want to say change Caleb Love as a player because I think that's going too far. But change some of Caleb Love's decision-making and thought thought process is probably the better phrase to rein him in a little bit and get him more integrated into what the team is trying to do because this program is just fine without him. Right, mm-hmm. and I guess you could argue that for North Carolina too, because it's North Carolina. But that team was built around those two guards doing what they wanted. That's not exactly how this Arizona thing works. See, They're I would just... probably disagree with that. In what what sense, Arizona? Uh, in the sense of Caleb Love wasn't the best player on that UNC team. He's not going to be the best player on this Arizona team, and it still didn't matter what his decision when it came to his decision making. Correct. I'm talking from a expectation standpoint i guess that i don't think i don't think hubert davis ever well if he did clearly nobody listened but it never felt like that was supposed to be built around armando baycott even though he was their best player do you see what i'm saying i guess i also don't think it matters where it's built around i think caleb love's gonna do what he wants and that's and that's the big question here is if if that is ever going to change, it's now. But if he comes and does the same thing in Arizona, then clearly it just that's what you're getting with him. So I have all kinds of questions, and we'll get to this more later. But I am just fascinated by this entire thing because this team is getting to a point where they need to have NCAA tournament success because of how good they've been in the regular season. There's There's a lot going on here. And... It's just easy to forget that Jaden Bradley and Keyshaw Johnson are there too. In addition to Umar Balu, who's one of the best. They got an awful lot of talent and an awful lot of guys that haven't played together. And this is a team that made it work with Kirk Creasa. So you got to feel like if anybody can make it work with Caleb Love, it's them. I just, so many questions, so many things that are interesting. They are my most interesting team in college basketball. I will never again believe in a college basketball team where Caleb Love has the ball more than anybody else. Never again. They, I, I pick somebody else to win the conference as a result. If Caleb Love's not on this team, I pick Arizona to win this conference. That's how out I am on Caleb Love. I couldn't that, be more out. And that's the interesting... One of the other interesting things for me He's is... He's been bad for two straight years except for three weeks. Clearly Tommy Lloyd... Feels Tommy Lloyd didn't have to take him, right? This team has one. Tommy Lloyd has plenty of good equity built up with what he's done. Two, his team is awfully talented anyway. It's not like they were desperate for an injection of talent. Now they needed to replace all of these guys that they've lost, but they still have plenty to work with. Which is also part of this for me is he clearly thinks this can work whether he's right or not is a different conversation but the fact that Caleb Love ended up at this level of program with a team with these kind of expectations 
means somebody I, – I almost kind of thought he was just going to go somewhere where he could be the guy. Now, maybe that ends up happening here, but it's it's different because Tommy Lloyd has a, a vision and he's really made this his own and he's willing to welcome Caleb Love into that. And we're going to have to see how it goes. Because I'm, I'm generally with you that I will – Caleb Love has at least lost the benefit of the doubt for me that mm-hmm. – I will expect what happened in North Carolina to happen again until I see something different. And what people don't realize is that the the tournament run that 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 Carolina went on is the is the um is the exception the exception to what happened mm. to UNC. 100%. Every you know the entirety of the first part of that of the first right. four months of that season, UNC hadn't beaten a, a, a quad one team. They didn't have a quad one win. Would be the correct way to say that. Um, no quad one wins, and then it just kind of happened. And yep. then we came back the next year, and it was right back to the way that it had yep. been before February and March right. two years ago. You- Break it into four quarter, four halves in those two seasons. Three of them were bad. Yeah. And 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 here is here's. Would you agree that if that would you expect Caleb Love to be one of the two best players on this team this year? Best, or what do you what do you mean? Or by most. Best? Uh, the one of the two mo- one of the two players that is most um involved that that drives winning or losing the most yes who were those two guys last year for Arizona what did Tabellis? everything revolve around i would say it, it revolved and- around those around those two guys in the front court Right, and you could throw Creasa in there, I guess, to a certain extent. But right, the idea was they have the best front court duo in the country, probably. Right, or at least right up there with, you know, one of the top three. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So you take away nineteen, you take away twenty and nine from Tabalos. In theory, Balo should go from fourteen and eight to nineteen and ten. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. In theory. And I'm just, I just am not sure that Caleb Love is capable of of setting up a big man like that. I mean, Armando Baycott went from preseason first team All American to just like kind of irrelevant, and there was nothing he could do about it because Caleb Love had the ball all the time. And now, here, and go ahead. Sorry, here's what I would throw out as a possible alternative. Jaden Bradley is sitting there capable of playing point guard. Okay. If it starts going that way, maybe Tommy Lloyd just says, I'm done. Jaden, go take the ball. We're not doing this. Okay. I'm, but I'm generally with you that I, I am not expecting this to be a revelation where Caleb Love is a completely different player. And I will just like believe it when I see it when mm-hmm. he, the guy that they gave a bunch of NIL money to come to Arizona because he didn't end up at Michigan because of the NIL money. Like I just, it's just harder to, it's just harder to do that when that's the case. It just is. 
because then people start then people who 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 you know fronted up fronted the money who who are behind the money for the nil deal like oh wait okay so i gave we i coughed up the money to get this guy here and then you took the ball out of his hands and put him on the bench yep i i'm not saying that i don't like if he's bad he should he should have those responsibilities taken away from him i keep being should but he should right right so and maybe I'll fall flat on my face, but but those the people who think that UNC that Caleb Love's tenure at UNC should be described in any way that has to do with that championship run, like I just I I wholeheartedly disagree with that. You don't have to and, convince me of that. You know that. And absolutely, but I feel like like Caleb Love is talked about as a transfer as the guy who played really well in the NCAA tournament two years ago. Right. Because if we were looking at him as the guy who was last year and the way he does or doesn't impact winning on most nights, mm-hmm. I'm just not like he wouldn't be as his, his transfer journey would not have been a bit as big of a deal as it, as it was. Yeah. Oh, 100%. And now, the, the final thing I'll throw out there to kind of flip that. And I'm sure generally with you just to, Play the other side of the argument for a second. A program with this much talent that has struggled, going back to Sean Miller, to deliver in the NCAA tournament, and it has continued under Tommy Lloyd. Now, it's only a couple seasons, so it's not like you can just completely throw that narrative on Tommy Lloyd, too. And it's not like they've, I mean, last season was bad NCAA tournament wise but it's not like they've just lost in the first round time after time you know they did make a small run two seasons ago maybe you look at it and say we don't need Caleb Love to get us there because we got enough talent around him again does this actually work I don't know but that we can get in a position without either with him not necessarily helping us win the way that we would want or without using him as much. But what we need is somebody that can go kind of like Ben Matherin did in that TCU game to go win us games in March when chaos ensues, unpredictability ensues. And I, whether you want to rely on him or not, I know he is capable of doing that. That would be the other side of this. Specifically I, from an Arizona standpoint. Sure. Sure. We'll see. Yeah. I'm not. We'll see. That would not be the stance I would hold, but there, that is the other side of it that I was thinking about as you were talking about the NCAA tournament part is, you know, that dude can go get 35 and be the best player on the floor anytime he takes it. It's just not usually the way things play out. It is. Uh, it's like, it's Russian roulette. You could mm-hmm. get that. You could also right. get two of 15 right. yep. and a guy who doesn't know when to stop shooting. Yep. Uh, the team I'm most intrigued by is UCLA by about a football field and a half. <laughs> um, a, a couple of different things here. Um, Mick Cronin took over first year at UCLA was 2019, 20. So we're in year five of, of Mick Cronin at UCLA. Here are his records. 19 and 12, 22 and 10, 27 and 8, 31 and 6. We've knocked two we've knocked two losses off the record every single year. 
But now there are now there's there's no Johnny Juzang, there's no Jaime Jaquez, there's no Jalen Clark, there's no Tiger Campbell. So from a roster perspective, we're entering into a new era of UCLA basketball. And this is the type of year where I think we're going to get an idea of what type of program Mick Cronin's UCLA program is. And what I mean by that is not any sweeping declaration about the quality of coach or anything. It's just that there are very few programs in the country that you just expect to win 23-plus games every year. right? There, there, are, there just aren't that many of them. There are a lot of programs that they stumble into a really nice recruiting class, then they have a, t- a couple guys, or maybe not stumble, but you know, you have a, a couple really high recruits that pan out really nicely, but almost like not immediately. They just kind of progress, and they end up there for four years, and then they're awesome as a senior, yep. a la Hami Hakez, a la Tiger Campbell. And then you add kind of in conjunction with that you add your really highly recruited you know Omari Bailey's that kind of thing and then you snowball into like you have a three-year period like this one where you go from 22 and 10 to 27 and 8 to 31 and 6 where do we go where do we go from here is it are we are we going to just expect UCLA to be a mainstay in the top 25 like that's the expectation every year and they just kind of reload and retool and then you have a really good basketball team pretty much every year and they don't really ever have those years where they don't win 20 games and that's a really elite place to be in college basketball especially nowadays that's one two is that there are 12 12 of their 15 (laughs) players are Redshirt sophomores are younger. Yeah. 12. And the only senior or fifth year on this team is Kenneth Nwuba. And Kenneth has never averaged more than 1.3 points in a UCLA uniform. Yep. Then you add on top of that that there are seven freshmen. Seven. Like, like in the recruiting class, there were seven of them. And four of them are not from the United States. So he went and... Using NIL expanded his recruiting trail to the freaking planet and went out and got guys that no one that that we haven't seen play in AAU that we've seen playing at U18 FIBA tournaments. And you get a guy that's that was 15th at 247 in 2023 in Adai Mara who. We'll see. He's kind of one. He's a he's a European big. He's kind of he he moves fine, but not awesome. He's not incredibly athletic. He's got some touch, but like it's just a it's a archetype that we don't see as a freshman in college basketball all that often, at least not as a top 15 recruit in the country. And I just. I I've got no idea what basketball team that UCLA is going to put on the floor this year. So combining those two things, this like this international experiment that McCronin is because if it works, not only does it right, of course it, it not only does it work and you you win basketball games, but you've now got a leg up if someone else if other programs mm-hmm. are like maybe we should try that. You're already the program yep. who's a done it before and b been successful doing it. See so, Gonzaga. Right, exactly. 
And I or, think or it's specifically Tommy Lloyd, I guess. Right. Sure. <laughs> I think it's I think it's truly fascinating. Um that that Mick Cronin looked at this transition in UCLA's roster and this massive turnover and the way he decided to attack it was not by going to the transfer portal. It was, I'm going to go put together an international basketball team because I can go to anywhere in the, in the world and say, Hey, you want to come play basketball in Los Angeles and Southern California? And a lot of people will say yes. And by the way, I'll pay you to do it too. And he, he went out and did that. And we've got like a, a truly fascinating college basketball team that I have, I have no idea. It's one of those teams that it's, I, I got no idea. Absolutely yep. no idea. It could be awesome. It could be completely forgettable and it could be bad, but we, we have no idea. And I think it's fascinating. And on top of all of that, these are not just international prospects that you don't know much about. Sure. These are guys, generally speaking, and specifically Mara and Berkabukachil, maybe to a little bit lesser extent, but that NBA scouts are salivating over. Mm-hmm. There's every chance that Mara is a first-round pick next year. Right. And also, right, we haven't even seen him play against college comp. And I know nobody in this recruiting, in this high school class, we've seen play against college competition, but you've seen these guys play against each other in AAU or whatever. Mm-hmm. We just have no, no clue. And also, there are some benefits to being in what I would say is a more professional environment in Europe, right, where Luka Doncic is playing in high-level, high-pressure games at the age of 18. Mm-hmm. So when he comes to the NBA, he's ready for all that because he was already a pro. Right. You know, everybody's story is a little bit different. Not everybody's Luka Doncic. But just there's that part of it as well. But also, how do you adjust just to the cultural shock and – Right. These are not long-term prospects. These are guys that need to contribute for this team to be good next season. Mm-hmm. Because outside of the recruiting class, you're talking about Autumn Bona, who's going to be good, and Dylan Andrews, who yeah. theoretically should take a big jump. Who, who was here last year. Right. And <laughs> played a little bit and got some experience. Right. You know, right. He's one of those guys that you look at and you go, oh, that's a potential breakout star. He should get a lot, get a lot more opportunities. Mm-hmm. I am with you. This is, to me, the most fascinating roster in the country of just because if it works the talent is there this might be the best team in the conference from a player by player standpoint but also that's a best case scenario if it doesn't work they might not even be a top four team in the conference because there are a lot of other teams to feel really good about that we'll kind of start getting to here yeah it's and to your point also that this is how mick cronin decided to try and build off of that first group of players and all the success that they've had is to kind of go against everything that is trending and popular in college basketball right now. And I mean, I guess the, the international recruiting, there's a little bit of a wrench in that, but to go super young, super unproven, super inexperienced. They they have the 14th ranked class, according to 247 in 2023. It could be like the third. Yeah, I don't even know how you, how do you even like, adjudicate that based right. on the, the construction of this recruiting class. Right. Like there could be like the talent there could yeah. make up like it's probably not Kentucky and it's probably not Duke, but it could like it could be better than USC yeah. who is third. It could oh, yeah. be. Yeah. And and that is that is that is fascinating and it's different 
I like the uh, the point that you made about about them being asked to come in and contribute immediately is really important here because if you remember last year Arizona brought in like three different guys from from Europe mm-hmm. but none of them were you know like you said they have this freshman recruiting class from two from last year yeah that no one knows anything about because they played like six guys. Right. Henry Friesard may have a really good season. I, right. He played what five minutes a game or something last year. We just don't know. Right. So yeah. so that is that's the other part of this. Uh, to to answer your question, he played seven point one minutes per game. There you go. Yeah. And of and of the guys who came from Europe, he was easily the in that recruiting class in particular was easily the 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 guy yeah. who who played the most time. So um it is fascinating. I've got no idea. This is not a commentary on if I think that team is going to be any good or not. Right. But no it point could making be that a team prediction. that Yeah. It could be a team that that we look up in like like 4 weeks into the season and like I was like, "Oh, like there are there are four really, really good basketball players on that team that no one really knew about. And I think there's a world in which we get to the beginning of Pac-12 play or the, the meat of the schedule. Does Pac-12, does Pac-12 play early season conference games? Do they do that too? I don't remember. I, um, I'm pretty sure they have generally. They play like two or three games yeah. like early in, in December or whatever. Um, anyways, the point being... That when we get to January one, and we're into conference play for the entire country, that we might just we might be feeling differently about the very top of this conference if if UCLA is hit on some of these guys that we just don't know a ton about. So looking at UCLA's schedule here, oh, the Pac-12 schedule is not out yet. However. You're going to be excited about this. We're going to learn pretty quickly about these guys. First game at the Maui Invitational, Marquette, followed sure. by Kansas or Chaminade. Sure. Also featuring... I'll go out on a limb and say it won't be Chaminade. <laughs> yeah. Also featuring, obviously, another game in that tournament and a trip to Villanova by December 9th. In addition to, I would expect... Yeah, there's no games between November 30th and December 9th in their non-conference, so I think that's typically where it is, right? December 4th kind of thing? Sure. So sure. we'll see how that ends up looking. But regardless of what the Pac-12 schedule is, yeah, we're going to find out pretty quickly about these guys. That's exciting. Um, Arizona's 2022-23 schedule, they played Utah and Cal on yeah. December 4th and 1st. Yep, there so, you go. There you go. I, th- I can't wait. It's gonna be it's gonna be awesome. Um, Storylines, what you got? First one is just got one last ride with these teams, mm-hmm. and and really two parts to this. Can anybody make this conference nationally relevant? Because that's always been the struggle, right? So yes, UCLA got to a Final Four. Oregon's been to Final Fours recently. Were they ever one of the best teams in the country? No. I mean, mm-hmm. from a, the 
the very, very best, right? The only, the shining moment was when everybody jumped on UCLA and had a preseason number one. That was, I would argue, the most nationally relevant the conference has been in a while. But we're talking about, obviously, the names at USC, the potential of USC, the potential of UCLA, the potential of Arizona. This is maybe the best collection of teams that could end up being really, 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 really good. And I guess UCLA last season kind of got into that national conversation, but still I felt like they were just a a step below in everybody. And it was more of a, yeah, they're clearly better than the rest of the conference. So they're, and Arizona was good, but they were just beating up on a bad conference kind of thing, as opposed to look at how good this UCLA team is, you know? Mm -hmm. So can somebody just get into the top five and stay there all season where you're looking at him as a number one seed, one of the favorites to win the national championship kind of thing, because I can talk myself into that with multiple teams. And then the other part is just moving forward. Does anything happen this season that changes how we feel as these teams go their separate ways? Specifically, for example, UCLA. This was the other thing I was thinking about as you were talking. Going into the Big Ten, this year is going to be quite telling about what to expect, I feel like. Of course, they're not playing Big Ten teams, but the idea of, as you were discussing, can you just be a 20-25 win team in the Big Ten? Can you turn a roster over and rebuild it from scratch and continue to have the same level of success they've had under McCrone? We're going to learn some things. And Arizona, same thing. You're bringing in a lot of new pieces here. Can you set that up? and have the same level of success and integrate these transfers in a way you're going to need to to compete at the top of the Big 12? Or are we a little bit more concerned about these teams as they go to their new conferences and feel like maybe they're not really quite up for challenging Kansas and whether it's Purdue, whatever teams you want to throw out there. in The, the Big 10 just kind of takes turns as to who the best program at the conference is. But, you know, can you compete consistently with the best of the best in these new conferences? I feel like this season is going to give us a good data point on that because of where some of these teams are at and what they are having to replace. I think there's also a world in which this collection of teams that could be really good could also, I think the floor is relatively low. Yes, absolutely. It could, like, Caleb Love could be reinvented, and it could be awesome. They could be North Carolina last season. They could be North Carolina last season. UCLA's guys could all click, and we could have a bunch of guys that are like, wow. Or it could not. USC could have a season where their talent translates, or their talent it translates into... A, a you know a consistent top seven team, or it can be kind of like it has been the last few years, where it's that's a really talented team, and you never feel like Andy Enfield got absolutely everything out of it. Mm-hmm. Which kind of leads me into my you know my first storyline, kind of in conjunction with that, which is is there an elite team in this conference to come tournament time? Do we yeah. feel like there's an elite team? And it's not just, there are four teams there that are somewhere between a three and a six seed. 
and maybe you've got you know a, you know two or three more that are somewhere between a seven and an eleven seed, and you've you're not really no one's really having conversations about a, a Pac-12 team knocking on the door of a national championship game, and really it's just it's just a ooh that's a really interesting game between a Pac-12 team that I don't have a ton of confidence in and FAU. You know what I mean? Um, that's that could happen, or we could have two teams, one team that is on the short list. That's a one seed. That's on the short list of teams that it is that you should be picking to make the national championship game, and um, we shall because there are several candidates for that, mm-hmm. but there are also several candidates that could just be that could just be solid college basketball teams instead. And I I could also see Pac-12 teams, if they live up to their potential, being some of the really trendy picks sure. for the reasons we've talked about. Of Oh, USC's that good? They've got a Rodman and a James? Let me see. Oh, their guards are that good? Guards win in March. I'm going to pick them. Or, or maybe know, it's I've, like that USC team that everyone had convinced themselves for the week was going to be the really, the team that was going to challenge Gonzaga in the sweet 16. Yes. Mm-hmm. And then they, they lost by like 20 or maybe that was yeah. the elite eight. I think it was the elite eight actually. Yeah. Yeah. Cause they didn't, they steamroll Kansas in the sweet 16, something like that. Yeah. 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 Um, not a great Kansas team. It was a four seed Kansas four seed, team right, or something, right. but yeah, but still, um, yes, I think that, and then of course it ended up not being super close, but a team, a team like that. Yeah, or the I've seen Caleb Love do this before. Why can't he do it? It's easy to. I could definitely see a world in which they become kind of the the teams that get a lot of hype, whether they should or not. If this goes well, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. What what else do you have? Number two, do we have actual depth? I can't wait to talk about this. I am honestly so excited for this conference this season. With just the random collection of players we've got here. So let's go through some highlights. Washington. I have no clue if these guys are going to be any good. But you better believe I'm watching Keon Brooks, Xavier Wheeler, and Paul Mulcahy play. Mm-hmm. I just, it's the most random collection. I absolutely love it. you got two other all-conference transfers coming in. Wesley H is a top 50 recruit. Again, this is a school that's had talent before. And it's snowballed in spectacular fashion. But they got real players there. Colorado. Your best two players are back. You've got other role players back. Another top five recruit nobody's talking about in Cody Williams. Mm -hmm. And I will forever be an Eddie Lampkin guy. We'll see what kind of contribution he's able to make. But all I know is that dude is a force to be reckoned with in the paint. Utah. You've probably got your three most productive players back. Three transfers who started at least 10 games for high major teams. Two of them in the Pac-12 last season. Oregon State has four of their top five scorers back. What that means, I don't know. I don't have high hopes for Oregon State. Doesn't mean anything. Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> Stanford. Four of your top five scorers are back. Plus you added Jared Bynum. And Andre Stoyakovich, who might be the reason that Jared Haas still has a job. We do this with Stanford too. But they got the talent. Mm-hmm. Arizona State. Adam Miller, Kamari Lands are both intriguing additions. Talent level, not quite what it's been in years past. Cal. 
And they lost all of their most important players. From last yeah, year. they don't have a lot, right? It's Frankie Collins and that. You never count on. Maybe this is the year when no, nobody Cambridge is paying attention. Yeah, maybe nobody when nobody's paying attention to him. That's the season they surprise. Cal, Devin Askew, a phenomenal off season. Jalen Tyson, Fardos Amac from Texas Tech, Jalen Cohn, and then Oregon. You still got the Jermaine Kuznard, Keyshawn Bartholomew backcourt, Nafali Dante still there. You've got a deep, talented recruiting class and, and transfers, all these new guys coming in. Some of them have experience at the high major level. Cairo Quendo was good last season. Mm-hmm. There are just, usually I have to, I can't even talk myself into most of the Pac-12 teams outside about the top four. And you know I want to do that with every fiber of my being. This season I'm going, there might actually be six, seven, eight, nine teams that are pretty good. Not great. But teams that are worth paying attention to that could cause some damage, could make some notable noise in the non-conference that are going to be fun to watch. I'm just genuinely excited about this conference pretty much from top to bottom. This is the most teams I have that could make the NCAA tournament in mm. years. For oh, this yeah, 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 yeah. For this mm-hmm. conference. Yeah. That could. I was I was waiting for the qualifier there. I was going to say, really? The most teams of any conference? That makes more sense. No, 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 no. The most teams that <laughs> the could make it in in the Pac-12. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it's it rivals the number of teams I had that could yeah. make the tournament in the Big Ten. It, it feels like a any other not high major conference in that sense. Yeah, there are a bunch of teams you, you got questions, Mark, questions about, but you could also talk yourself into and see being NCAA tournament teams. It actually feels quite Big Ten-ish the yeah. more I think about it. Yes, absolutely. Because I'm also not totally sure. Yep. I don't know about the elite nature of the Big, yep. tw- the Big Ten teams. Yep. Yep. Or at least I don't know about the elite nature nationally recognized in the Big Ten. I think Purdue will be elite. Yeah. I don't think anybody will care, though, until but what's we get the, to the tournament. Yes, but what is the traditional form of the Big Ten? Brutal from top to bottom. Somebody finds a way to win it, but you don't actually feel like they're one of the best five or so teams in the country. Sometimes they get a team to the Final Four. Usually that team just doesn't have enough talent and comes up short, and that's why they haven't mm-hmm. won a national championship since 2000. Right. right. Absolutely. Same feel. It's a good comparison. I've got a, I've got Caleb Love in Arizona was on my storylines list because <laughs> they weren't one of my like most intriguing or most mm-hmm. exciting teams. So we've we've um, we've done our due diligence with with the Wildcats. I don't need to bring that one back up. Um, there's Oregon has a six foot guard from West Lynn in uh, on their on their team this year, and he's a back to back. Oregon Gatorade Player of the Year, and Peyton Pritchard is a six foot guard that <laughs> went to West Lynn. So, um, we'll see. His name is Jackson Shelstead. He's a top thirty recruit. We'll we'll see what that means. But like that, ha- that went pretty well for Dan Altman the last time he had a six foot guard from West Lynn. Um, I think Oregon is interesting this year because I like I'm not like totally sure what kind of program Oregon is right now. I'm not even sure Oregon is entirely sure of what kind of program. Right. I think Dana Altman is kind of having to reset everything here. Yeah. Right. Um, 
you bring you know, Shellstead is coming in, Kwame Evans Jr. from Montverde Academy. That headlines a top fifteen Oregon recruiting class this year. Yep. Um and Folly Dante along with Evans is there those are two of the top four recruits in Oregon basketball history. But then again, they had two of the top three last year because Kella Ware is the second highest recruit of all time in Oregon, uh, Oregon basketball history. And now he's an Indiana Hoosier trivia time. Who's the number one guy. Ooh, another tall, lanky guy from not that long ago. Another tall, lanky guy. Yeah. Who was also relatively like, eh, whatever. Oh, bowl. That's correct. Yeah, Bobo is the uh, is the is the number one recruit in Oregon's history. Um, but I think like they have they have talent. Oh yeah, on that team this year, and uh, I'm not totally sure what it's going to mean. Honestly, I the last six years of of Oregon basketball haven't been nearly as bad as they are in my head. And they have some like the Peyton Pritchard year and the Dylan Brooks year, and then the the COVID year with Chris Duarte. And someone else, they were both averaging like 19 points a game. And so the last two years, right, they're 41 and 30 over the last two years. That's definitely not what we had come to expect over the last, you know, basically from Tyler Dorsey to Peyton Pritchard, that like five, six year stretch. Um, Dylan Brooks, of course. Like that was, that's not the level of winning we come to expect from Oregon. So it's a little bit of a weird spot for them. But uh, maybe the secret sauce is a six foot guard from West Lake. That could be, that could be the secret sauce that we've stumbled into. But, um, but they're interesting uh, for me as well. I really just wanted to point out that there's a six foot guard from West Lake coming. To, I love it. Coming to Eugene. <laughs> My third one we've kind of talked about as well. Just the battle at the top of the conference. How many teams are involved? How do we feel about those teams? Because to me, there's a very clear four. What order those four teams end up in, I have no clue. Because we've talked about the Arizona questions. I would not be surprised at all if this doesn't work and they're nowhere near the top of the conference. I also think they're too talented to be... I was going to say missing the NCAA tournament... I still am gonna. I still am gonna say they're too talented not to make the NCAA tournament. But I would agree with that. They could absolutely just excuse themselves from the title conversation if things don't go well. USC, I argue, has the most talent of any team in this conference. You we talked about that as well. That. Yeah, you don't have to convince me of that. UCLA, we just talked about. Well, it could be just about anything. <laughs> and then I really, really like this Colorado team. Colorado is the safe bet with all these other teams that are just kind of combustible. It could be fantastic or it could be really disappointing. Colorado Mm. is the high floor, slightly lower ceiling that makes you feel better about. They're just going to be really good because you Mm. know, these guys have produced, they were pretty good last season. They've added new pieces. If Cody Williams is what Cody Williams is supposed to be, they could be a really good basketball team. Mm Mm-hmm. Are they good enough to actually win the conference? So that's, to me, it's just those four teams and how does this play out? How do we kind of evolve in our feelings about them throughout the season? I like it. I like it. I'm out of storylines. All right. You got anything else? No. How many teams can make the tournament? I went eight. 
I also went eight. Okay. Uh, I will read mine off. Here we go. Um, Arizona. Yes. USC. Yes. UCLA. Yes. Colorado. Yep. Oregon. Yep. Cal. I did not put Cal. Wow. I have Oregon, Cal, Stanford, and Washington. Okay. So our switch is that I have Utah and not Cal. Okay. Just because of what you know you already have in Utah, the foundation of that roster. Cal would definitely be the next team for me, though. I, um, Yeah, Utah for me is one of those teams that I just don't care if you bring everybody back from a 17 and 15 team. I just don't care. Respectfully. And you have an injection of talent through the transfer portal that I... That combination of continuity and talent improvement with a good coach i i talked myself into that cal i i'm curious for exactly what your thought process that and lazar stefanovich was your second leading scorer and he plays for ucla now yeah yeah i I just have a hard time seeing all of these pieces come together in a way for Cal immediately when, I mean, Jalen Tyson was really, really good for Texas Tech. That was a bad Texas Tech team for most of the season, though. And this, Because Cal is absolutely going to be better. We have to reframe how we think about Cal. They are not the bottom of this conference. I'm right there with you. I wouldn't be stunned if they got into this conversation. I just, I'm taking it a little bit slow until um, I see that this can work immediately. Um, I, I, I'm a believer in Mark Madsen. Me too. Um, I think. So that's part of it. Um, I think Fardaz Amac will be way better than he was at Texas Tech. I just, just, I'm not a huge fan of what's going on at the, with with that program. Um, and I, I, I just think the talent is like if we're going to put Washington. Uh, here and that's maybe I don't think Mike Hopkins is a great coach, and I don't think Washington's talent is that much better than Cal's. I, on paper. I will buy that. That is a very valid argument. If you're going to talk yourself into Stanford and Washington again, why not talk yourself into Cal too? Yeah, that's 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 probably the that's probably the most concise and best way to put it. I'll buy it. Okay, that's kind of that's also part of my thing with Utah is I'll just trust Utah. If you're gonna, if I'm gonna be optimistic about those other teams, I feel like I need to show Utah respect for being consistent as well. It to me, it's really those nine, and the more I think about it, I have no issue adding Cal to that to that list too. I Fair. just I, I cut it off at eight, but I am very excited for Cal, and I am I am honestly rooting very hard for them because that would be a really cool story if they kind of turn this around immediately and built off of all the excitement from having such a good offseason. And I suppose if I'm going to 
put Stanford there. I can't not put Utah there. So it's kind of a, you know, there's there's a little bit of there's a little bit of drawing the arbitrary line somewhere. But but um, but yeah, any of those those teams that we've kind of thrown out there, I think I'm willing to to entertain. Um, I would probably put the over-under of teams in this conference that make the NCAA tournament at five and a half. I was going to say six. Yeah. Yeah. I think, I think that that five would be a disappointing year. I also think Mm -hmm. that seven would be, is a, is, is quite a jump. Yes. And you're looking at a team like, so if we game this out, right, Arizona, USC, UCLA, Colorado, those are four, right? Yep. And let's say Oregon has a really solid bounce back year and they make the tournament. Then we're looking at a team like Washington or a team like Cal or a team like Stanford to make the tournament to get to six. And that could that could happen. And I think the thing that we should mention is there are it looks like there will be more opportunities to get solid wins in the Pac-12 this year, Mm -hmm. which is also something we've talked a lot about the last couple of years, that if you don't jump on your opportunities as a as a team that's considered on the bubble, you're probably going to be going up against other high major teams that just have better wins than you. And uh, and that's just tough. I think it's it'll be a little bit better this year and and that could help. But in terms of, I would be disappointed. I would I would be surprised if they don't get five in. Um, I'd probably land on six, and I'd be surprised if they got seven. Yeah, and the other part of that too is you are also in so much danger, typically, of having bad losses because of how many teams you play mm-hmm. that are bad. Yeah. Right. It's not only that you don't get to play very many teams that give you opportunities for signature wins. It's also that you have to beat everybody on the road you know you you have to beat everybody at home i mean that's all your games maybe more on the road right you can't afford a bad or you got to win your home games you've tried to avoid the road losses that that did not come out the way i was intending you know what i'm saying though that yeah right we talk about this in the big the big 12 that you can just lose games it doesn't matter the pac-12 has typically been the opposite of that but now if you're talking more like two or three teams you sweep them or at least win at home. And then you're talking about, right, some wins against other bubble teams and things like that. Hopefully you get two or three of these top four teams that turn out to be really, really good. And now you're you're off and running with a much better outlook for the NCAA tournament. Um, only, so last year, Arizona State made the tournament at 11 and nine in conference. Oregon State made it ten and ten, but they won the tournament, and that's the only reason they made it in. Um, they won the conference tournament that year, um, so that's why they made it in. Everybody else that made it in had won at least thirteen games. So a non-conference tournament champion that made it to the tournament, ten and eight, Oregon, but they won the tournament that year in twenty eighteen nineteen. So. It doesn't happen very often that a team, Arizona State in 2017-18, went 8-10 and and made the NCAA tournament. So it, just my point being is that there are several, there are multiple teams every year in the Big Ten that go like 
10, you know, 11 and 9 and make yep. the tournament. Yep. You can go under 500 in the Big 12, make it. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Mm-hmm. What did Arizona State do in non-conference? That Was that the team that got to number one in the country? <laughs> I was going to say it had to be, right? I guess so. Yeah, Remy Martin, Trey Holder. Yep. Shannon Evans. Yep. Let's go look at their let's go look yep. at their schedule. Yeah, they they were in the top five in the AP poll from like basically the entire month of for a month from like J- the December eleventh to January eighth. They were out of the AP poll by February fifth. That was the year they started. What is that? They started twelve and zero. And they beat, beat Kansas. Kansas and Xavier. Yeah. There you go. Yep. They finished the year losing six of their last seven. That's tough. I got excused by a Syracuse team in the first round. Oh, in the play-in. University of Dayton Arena. Yep. Is that the Syracuse team that went to the national to the Final Four? I don't think so. No. They did go to the Sweet 16, though. Anyway, of course they there did. you go. Of course they did. The the twenty three and fourteen, eight and ten, and the ACC tenth <laughs> tenth in the the conference that year. Yep. Um. All right. Hour and hour and nine minutes in. Give me a winner, and we'll get out of here. I went Arizona with a caveat. Okay. okay. He said I went Arizona, but here's here's why you can't you can't come yeah. after me if it's wrong. At least until mid-January, I would like to reserve the right to jump off of this at any point if it doesn't work. Because I'll give you until they play their first Pac-12 game in early December. See, I want a couple Pac-12 games. That's the problem. (laughs) No, 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 no. How am I supposed to? Hey, can I get a four? Can I get like a fifth of the schedule to watch before I decide who's going to win? I just want two or three. I, I'll give you one. <laughs> okay. We'll, we'll revisit here, after. Here. here. If well, I first, will give you... First game, it depends after the first on who game in January. It depends on who they play in early December. Yeah, yeah. Okay, sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I, and really, this is more about my reservations with the other teams. Because I know Tommy Lloyd knows how to win this conference. I know Umar Balo and Paul Larson know how to win this conference. We've seen this happen with UC, with USC before. We've talked about that. I don't feel great just assuming it's going to be different as much as I like this team and believe they're going to be really good. UCLA, I can't sit here and say they're going to win the conference because we have no clue what these guys are going to look like. And Colorado, are you positive that Umar Ballo and Paul Larson know how to win this conference? I mean, they've been the best team in the conference. Yeah, but they finished second last year, and in the year that they won, that was it was Matherin, Tabellas, Coloco, Krissa, and Terry. That was your top five scores. Umar Ballo was six and four. Yeah, he was, he was coming off the bench. My, my point being, they have been around very successful teams that have navigated this conference well. Sure. More about Tommy Lloyd, but he still has players here who have been part of this success. That was more my sure. point. Yes, they played sure. limited roles, but... And Colorado, I really, really like them. I would be thrilled if they won the conference. I just can't take myself 
when a lot of the excitement is a freshman and Tristan DeSilva and KJ Simpson coming back and saying that's the best team in the Pac-12. So you got to pick somebody that I don't feel great about for one reason or another. I'm going to bet on Tommy Lloyd and bet on Arizona. To me, they're just the, the team, the program I have the most faith in. But yeah, I, it will not take me long to get off of this and to pick somebody else if this doesn't go well with Caleb Love. I got USC. I figured as much. I've got the University of Southern California Trojans. I'm in. I'm in. I like guards. I don't like Caleb Love. There you go. Fair I think it'll be close. I think it'll be close. But uh, there's my caveat. That's my caveat when I pick a team. <laughs> I think it'll be close. Conference. I think it'll be close. <laughs> it'll be a toss-up. But I think uh, I, I've I've made my, my reservations with with yeah. with Caleb. I'm just not going to pick a team where Caleb Love has the ball in his hands more than anybody else to win a conference. I'm just not going to do it. I don't feel good about it. But we both done it before. Unsuccessfully. Right. We, both so. have, we both have done it before <laughs> and it failed royally. All right. USC on my end, the Wildcats of Arizona. On Josh's end. Anything else before we the get last, out of here? The last thing I feel like we should recognize in this conference that we didn't talk about just because there are so many other interesting things. We got some coaching kind of moment of truths coming here. Hmm. Washington, Arizona, Stanford. Just kidding. That was a joke. Washington, <laughs> Stanford, in particular. Sure. Maybe to a certain extent, Oregon. Of can Dana Altman get this thing back on track? Then you've got kind of the other part of this, which is can Arizona and UCLA, as we've talked about, build off of you know what they have, what they've done, what they've become. Does Mark Madsen just get this thing going at Cal? Oh, oh, and Bobby Hurley. That's the other one. I knew we were missing yeah. one. Those three. Washington, Arizona State, Stanford in particular. It's the same story every season. Like the rosters. A lot of talent there. They should be good. Usually don't make the NCAA tournament where Bobby Hurley sometimes finds a way to sneak in. But there's a lot of pressure on those three coaches in a conference that's not going to be as easy to navigate to really step it up this season because they have the talent to do so. That's the other thing I'm looking at here. I feel like I've been, Jared Haas has been one year away for like seven years. Yep. And also going into new conferences, the ability to just start with a fresh, a fresh Mm -hmm. slate, new coach. There's a lot riding on this season. I am, I am truly excited for the PAC 12 and I have not felt that way. Maybe ever. Man, usually we have to, beg and plead someone to come talk about the Pac-12 with us. This year, this year it's it's much more much more enjoyable. All right, I believe that's all we have for you today. We'll do SEC next week, and then um, we'll get into we'll get into having some chit chats with 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 pals and friends about um, about these conferences leading up to to the college basketball season. Please subscribe to the Jays for Days podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Google Podcasts. Follow us on Twitter at Jays for Days Pod. Check out the YouTube channel at uh, Jays for Days Pod there as 
well. Actually, it might be Jays for Days podcast, but if you type in Jays for Days pod, you should be able to find it. Thank you so much for listening to this edition of the Jays for Days podcast. I'm Josh. He's Josh. And we will see you later.